Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Francisco L. Borges and the Melville Charitable Trust. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Turtles are among one of the oldest reptiles to walk the planet. And that's not just a pun about their age. As Cy Montgomery says in her new book of Time and Turtles, turtles live slow. Although turtles often live long lifespans are are among some of the most resilient animals on the planet, human presence has meant a huge threat to their species. Sai spent time working with the people that have dedicated their lives to rehabilitating these fascinating creatures. And she joins us now from New Hampshire to talk about her book, Of Time and Turtles. Sai, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Oh, thrilled to be here. And we also have Matt Patterson, who's a fellow turtle lover and illustrator of this book and their accompanying painter book, The Book of Turtles, who is also here with us. Matt, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. And here's a question for our listeners. Matt and Sai believe everyone has a turtle story. What's yours? Let us know. Give us a call, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. So we obviously have to start with both of your origin stories. Sai, I'm going to start with you. How did you get interested in turtles? Well, I was born in 1958, and like most of us, born during that era, When we were little, our parents took us to Woolworths and we came home with a little red-eared baby turtle. And these darling turtles, everyone loved them, but we weren't given proper instruction of how to care for them. So their shells got soft and our mothers flushed them and then got us a new one and thought we wouldn't notice, but we did. And then later, you know, growing up, at, at one point we lived in Virginia and you could go into the woods and find a box turtle when it rained, invariably. So... I've loved turtles ever since I was small, but it wasn't until I met Matt Patterson just like six years ago. Six years ago. Yeah, that I really took a deep dive into turtles and then soon felt three books coming on. I'm still a little shocked at the whole flushing flushing situation. I'm going to marinate on that a little bit, but Matt, (laughs) what's your origin story? Uh, my story, I I have loved turtles my whole life, as long as I can remember, since I could talk and probably before. Um, I grew up, my dad was a biology teacher, so we always had animals all around us. And some of my earliest memories are of looking for turtles with my dad. And I grew up observing turtles, looking for turtles. We used to hatch turtle eggs. And of course, I used to draw and paint turtles. And my parents saved some of my early drawings. And I saw them recently. And a lot of them are turtles <laughs> and dinosaurs, of course. So my whole life, I have always loved turtles. I've had turtles. Um, I've always loved looking for turtles. Every time we would go anywhere, I remember when I was a kid, we went to Disney World. And I don't really remember being at Disney too much. But I remember on the way into Disney, we saw a gopher tortoise on the side of the road eating some grass. So I remember that. I love that you share that because so I, I'm originally from California and used to go to Disneyland. And they actually have a pond there that has turtles. So the moment you said that, I'm like, taken back to that time where they have a turtle pond. (laughs) That's what I would remember. (laughs) Yeah. And turtles, I think they they appeal to us for so many reasons. 
Even baby turtles look like adorable little grandmothers and grandfathers. Perfect miniatures. And we love that they have, you know, that they carry their shell, you know, their their house on their back. It's not like they can leave their shell. It's part of their skeleton. But um, we love seeing their little heads peeking out from under these things. But for me, the reason that I wanted to write about turtles now in my life, this is like my 35th or 36th book. Um, the last big book that I devoted years of research to was Soul of an Octopus, which examined through this really fascinating and largely unknown marine invertebrate, one of the important questions in philosophy, which is consciousness. Well, after I turned 60, I felt like I was ready to write a book that would examine the other hard question in philosophy, which is time. And who better to accompany me on this journey and be my teacher than turtles, these ancient creatures who arose with the dinosaurs and lived to great age and pretty much embody the concepts of patience and fortitude. Well, and then with what you just said, they're one of the oldest species on the planet. They were around when dinosaurs were around. You know, how have they evolved and how have they changed or have they changed uh, since you uh, dived into studying turtles? Well, turtles turtles have been around for over 200 million years. They arose the same time as the dinosaurs. And they arose not as you would think. They arose from the bottom up. They evolved from the bottom up. The uh, One of the oldest ancestors is called Papa Kelly's, which sounds like a pizza place, but it's not. It means grandfather <laughs> of turtles. And he looked like a lizard. And he had what was the beginning of a plastron, the, the hard belly shield. And about 20 million years later, the carapace, the top shell evolved. But if you would go back 200 million years ago and you saw a turtle, you would recognize it as a turtle because they, the design really hasn't changed. It's been so successful. I mean, they, they survived asteroid impact 66 million years ago. They survived ice ages. Um, it's us that are having trouble surviving. <laughs> That's right. I so, like to say that the turtle evolved from the bottom up. Everyone thinks that what makes a turtle a turtle is the shell, and they are correct. But it was the bottom shell that, that arose first. And that was just one of the gobsmackingly unexpected things that I learned about turtles while working on this book, these two books, and soon to be three with Matt. Well, I'm glad it shocked you because it shocked me too. But it makes so much sense. But you don't, I don't really ever thought of them that way. So when I was reading your book, I was like, oh my God, that, that that's true. And, and Sai, at the start of the book too, you let readers know that you're not disclosing the name and locations of some of these turtle rescue leagues on purpose. Can you talk about uh, why that is? Yeah. Well, turtles, as Matt said, are highly endangered. We think they're common because we see them sitting on logs and we notice them crossing the roads. But even common species aren't as common as they were. And 61% of the over 350 species of turtles are in danger of extinction right now. And all the usual suspects are at play, you know, habitat destruction and um, climate change and just humans everywhere and nowhere for animals poaching. to be. But poaching is on top of this. There's an enormous illegal trade in turtles for pets, for medicine, and for meat. And it is such a serious problem that people speak of the Asian turtle crisis, because in Asia, where much of the trade is, is um, centered, 
they've almost vacuumed up all the turtles in the wild. And now they've come over to North America where more species of turtles exist where any than anywhere else in the world. And um, our Native Americans often refer to North America as Turtle Island because we have the most speciose content, continent when it comes to turtles. And so these poachers, they're actually combing the scientific literature for the sites of researchers' study areas. And one person published in a journal where she'd been studying turtles for years. And just months after that, all her turtles were gone because poachers had come in there. And this is something that has been happening for a while. It's nothing new, sadly. So what is happening to the turtles when they do get trafficked? Well, a lot of it is for uh, the pet trade for pets. Um, like Sai said, there's there's other other reasons um, for meat for for traditional medicines that that don't work. I mean, you know, you see a turtle and, and you think, wow, it lives so long. If I eat its shell, I'll live that long. Well, you won't. But <laughs> oh, you might as well eat your fingernails because that's what their shell right. made out of. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, it's a tragedy because I mean. It's traditional Chinese medicine, which has a huge pharmacopoeia, and most of it is plant medicine, and a lot of it is effective. But there's a small number of medicines that are made out of animals, and these include some of the most endangered animals in the world because there's such a hunger for it. Some of it is medicine to cure people who have actual diseases, It's a shame that these sick people are not getting medicines that are going to help them. A lot of them, though, are for supplements that are supposed to make you more virile or more beautiful or live longer. And eating a turtle doesn't do that either, but it does wipe out a beautiful animal who should live for, in some cases, over 100 years. And even people just unknowingly taking a turtle from the wild is really devastating to the population because you see a turtle and you and people don't realize if you take that one turtle you want to have have it as a pet if you take that one turtle you're really hurting that that local population because a turtle will lay hundreds of eggs in its lifetime and maybe only one or two will reach its breeding age so just taking one turtle from the from the wild is it's really hurtful and we look at a turtle crossing the street and we think, oh, you know, here's a, that's, that's nice. But that turtle is a miracle because literally over 90% of turtle eggs never even hatch. And most of those hatchlings get eaten. Everyone eats them. Chipmunks eat them. Insects eat them. Birds eat them. Frogs eat them. We've Fish been re- eat them. We've been releasing baby turtles that were hatched in our incubators into ponds and have frogs leap into our palm wow. trying to eat our yeah. baby turtles even even plants will will go after uh, turtle eggs if it's really dry out they'll send roots in to suck out the moisture so every everyone is after turtles and so every adult turtle that you see really is a miracle and we need to leave those turtles in the wild and we need to let them cross the roads my mind is so blown by, right now with what you just shared actually last year i learned um there was a turtle that that showed up in my backyard, and we do have a brook in the back, and it just freaked me out because I was like, that is such a far way. How did you make it out here? And um, I quickly just Googled it and learned that you're supposed to let them just chill there and hang out, and they'll find their way back. And so I was, yeah. sad. I was sad. I left for work and came home, and he was no longer there. 
but well, but you know what? It might have been she. It might have been, been a she. It could have been a yes. Laying eggs. Yeah. And Catherine, you're a turtle hero because you didn't move that turtle. A lot of people who love turtles, their heart's in the right place, but they don't realize why the turtles are far away from their their river. And they're on this intimate, important, essential errand. Most of the time, it's a female who's looking for a place to lay her eggs, and she doesn't want to lay her eggs near the water. She needs to lay her eggs in sandy soil where there's some sunshine. And they make these these arduous, long journeys to get to these important places. So you were absolutely right not to disturb that turtle. It would be like you found, you know, a pregnant lady about to give birth, and she was almost at the hospital door. And then you took her back to her job or something. Wow, that sounds terrible. Yeah. Even if it's a male turtle, they know they're. I mean, us guys too. We know where we're going. That, that's so right. That's right. They, and the guys are looking for the ladies. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to add Turtle Hero to my CV, and I did. I did take about <laughs> yeah. a zillion pictures. <laughs> Put so. it at the top of the list. <laughs> and so, one of my favorite parts of your book really is is learning how turtles have very distinct personalities, and they even have thoughts and feelings. You know, can we talk about that? What are some? Oh, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Well, well, yeah. Do you want to well, start, you, Matt? Well, You've just, known turtles since you were. I, I have a turtle that I've had her for 26 years. Or 20, I keep saying 26. I think it's 27 yeah, years Yeah, it changes now. every it year. It does change every year, doesn't it? <laughs> um, but they, they're all individuals. They all all have different personalities, just like, like we do, just like our cats or our dogs do. Um, some are bold, some are shy. Some love attention, love their neck scratched, their head scratched, their shell scratched. Um and turtles, like just because they're all individuals, like we are in our book of turtles, we have a whole section on celebrity turtles, <laughs> which I enjoyed very much. <laughs> My favorite turtle celebrities people is the love this celebrity one. couple. Uh, just the it couple. Yeah, they, it was like it was the it couple. And just, this is so like people. One day they've been together for 115 blissful years of turtle marriage, and then one day the female woke up and just could not stand the sight of her mate. And a lot of my girlfriends totally relate to this. And she would bite his shell until it bled. These these were great big Galapagos tortoises, yeah. and so getting bitten by somebody like that is a big deal. And so you know they tried everything. They they tried romantic dinners. They would both eat watermelon together and hopefully fall back in into love. Of, but no, nothing, nothing worked. They even tried sex toys, but nothing worked. And so now they're apart again for 115 years. But they are so like us. And this is not, you know, many times when you talk about animals having thoughts and feelings, people say, oh, anthropomorphism, you're projecting human emotions on animals. But emotions have adaptive value. They did not arise de novo in humans. They, emotions help you form affiliations, they help you evaluate your your world. And so, of course, other animals have this. They may not have the same thoughts and feelings as we do, or fish would be asking to be taken from the water, which they are not. And, you know, I, I don't need to lick under my tail like my dog sometimes does. So, you know, we don't all have the same needs and thoughts at the same time, but we do have thoughts and needs and memories and emotions. When we first visited Turtle Rescue League, which is where a lot of the action of our book uh, um, takes place, uh, we were immediately met by a turtle named Pizza Man, who marched right up to us, stopped at the right at my feet, and performed a greeting as obvious as a handshake. He 
jerked his head to the right, then back to the center, then to the left, then back to the center and stared up into my face. And then he marched on to meet Matt. And there, if anything, his ardor grew because even though it was February in New England, Matt was wearing, as usual, flip-flops and Matt's feet were warm. So the turtle stood right on top of his warm feet and performed the exact same greeting. And Alexia Bell, who founded the league, told us, you know, this turtle just needs to be where the action is. He's he's very involved. He greets every visitor. And then there's other turtles that want nothing to do with you. But I know people like that, too. Right. Turtles and people essentially were the same thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and then, so Turtles and people, too. Exactly. We've got to treat them. We've got to treat them right. And you mentioned action. I want to talk about snapping turtles because snapping turtles have yeah. gotten a really bad reputation. And uh, capturing and killing snapping turtles is actually legal in Massachusetts. Can you set the record straight on the snappers and you know, give them the voice that they deserve? Yeah, we, we love snapping turtles. And snapping turtles to a lot of people are scary. They're very prehistoric looking, um, but they they only snap when they're out of the water defending themselves because if a person's in front of them, you know, that's that's a big monster to them. But they're very important. They, they are vultures of ponds in lakes and rivers and streams. They eat dead things. A lot of people think that they'll attack you if you go swimming, which would be wild if they did because we wouldn't be safe in any lake or pond <laughs> or river. There'd be, I would be on the news all the time, another snapping turtle attack. But um, they they also think that they eat uh, baby ducklings or geese. They don't. Uh, maybe once in a while that might a rare case that might happen. But it's most likely a, like a fox or another predator eating those 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 um those those baby birds. So yeah, they're dead sna- Yeah, they, snapping they... turtles are are very sorry. They're very very important. Yeah, they they eat dead things. And when you think of it. Would you rather find something already dead to eat, like all humans do, or would you have to go out and kill your food with your face? It's much easier. Kill it with your face. Right. That, what a, that's a that's a new bumper sticker. I prefer the first option. I I'm just, but I'm just speaking for myself. I can't speak for anyone. Kill your food with your face. Well, today we are talking with Cy Montgomery and Matt Patterson, and we are talking about how amazing snapping turtles are. Uh, they're both authors of many books about animals, and their newest of Time and Turtles and the Book of Turtles is our focus today. They will both be uh, with us to continue our conversations about turtles and what's being done to care and protect these animals. Let us know if you have a turtle story. Join the conversation, 888-720-9677, or leave us a comment on Facebook and Twitter at Where We Live. Support for this podcast comes from Hartford HealthCare. Elevating Health is funded by Hartford HealthCare. Loneliness can be a significant health risk to people of all ages. Dr. Laura Saunders, a psychologist from Hartford HealthCare's Institute of Living, talks about social isolation and why we need to connect in person. 
Loneliness actually is a pretty significant health risk for people that struggle with social isolation. It affects their blood pressure, it affects their immune system, it affects your willingness to get up and get out and can cause some not just emotional issues, but health problems as well. You're not alone. Dr. Saunders explains how important it is for us to look to others and get out of our comfort zone. I like to talk about social isolation as not just that individual's problem, but it's a community problem or it's a family problem. We need to connect with others. We can take space at times as well, but we need to step out of our comfort zone and do things to connect with other people. It's life-saving. For more information, go to ctpublic.org slash health. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Today, we're hearing from Cy Montgomery. She's the author of numerous books about animals, and her new books are Of Time and Turtles and The Book of Turtles. Matt Patterson is the book's illustrator, and he's also a wildlife artist and sculptor. During the course of a year, Cy and Matt both worked as turtle rehabilitator interns doing the actual work for Saving Turtles. So Cy and Matt, the first two uh, turtle rescuers you introduced readers in the book are Alexia and Natasha. Can you tell us how they both got interested in turtles? Well, one day, Alexia and Natasha were hanging out. They were going somewhere else, and they noticed a turtle in the road who'd been hit. And they both loved animals. They tried to save the turtle, but it was obvious it wasn't going to make it. And so they humanely euthanized the animal. But then they decided the next time they got together, they were going to help turtles cross the road. And soon they were working hard to save all these turtles. They were taking them to other turtle rehabilitators, of which there were few, and to veterinarians. But they realized that there were so many turtles getting hurt that folks were just going to be overwhelmed. So they learned the techniques for repairing shells. They learned a way to help the injured turtles as well as getting them across. And soon their apartment was filled with bubbling tanks and recovering patients. And now they have a house in Southbridge, Mass, and the entire thousand square foot basement is filled with, at any one time, between 200 and 1,000 turtles. And the turtles are now spilling out into the other well, what really struck me reading reading the book is how how utterly resilient turtles are. I just had no idea that they can, you know, when they're able to to heal so well and and regenerate. So, can you, I, I imagine there's not really an average day rescuing turtles, but can you talk about what does the day to day look like? What does the rehab rehabilitation efforts look like because you do describe everything from you just mentioned fixing cracked shells and also giving them antibiotics. You know, what does that look like? Well, it, it really depends on the season. Uh, in the springtime, turtles are really active. First, the males are active, then the females are active because they're out nesting. So there's a lot of turtles that come in with with cracked carapaces, cracked plastrons, you know, the upper and the lower shell, broken jaws. Um, sometimes there's there's injuries from mowing injuries or, or dogs chewing turtles. Um, so it's really, really hectic and crazy in the springtime. And, you know, and even even turtles that are dead, you can save if it's a female and it's in the springtime and she was on her way to nest. There's a good chance that she has eggs in her that can be saved. And so they'll take those eggs and incubate them. And then when they hatch in the end of the summer, release them Um, at the end of the summer for them. It's it's really busy because it's hatching season. And they have that's when they usually have about a thousand turtles because they have all these eggs hatching. And so 
all these incubators are full of it, of hatchlings and they have to be released and it, it can get it can get pretty wild and then in the winter it slows down a bit but then they have you know a lot of people bringing in you know unwanted turtles and and, and turtles like that so there's kind of different seasons and in, in, in different focuses for the seasons yeah spring and fall are the crazy times i don't even know when these women get to sleep because especially the spring oh i know i know and so we were sometimes going several times a week we we actually kept this up for like three years three yeah both i mean years. we got totally addicted to this <laughs> and at the same time we were working at a nest protection site not far from our house so it was turtles all the way down and, and we were oh, we were we were driving so we were releasing healed patients and we release them back to the spot where they were found. And we were driving all over central New England for this. And we were we were guided. We, our navigator was blind. And not, Natasha is blind, legally blind. And somehow she was able to navigate us to these spots. She's an amazing person. But, you know, I mean, Natasha's blindness gives her um, a really good perspective. And I've seen this with other people with disabilities as well. Um, I have a friend who's, um, he's now retired, but he was uh, the veterinarian at Tufts Wildlife Clinic. And he had one of his legs removed. And he'd be in there getting these patients, you know, some raccoon or something, and like, oh, they have to amputate the leg. Let's just euthanize him. And Mark would be standing there like, really? I don't think so. The thing about turtles and a lot of animals in the wild is they do just fine missing a leg or missing an eye. I've seen turtles with with two legs missing in the wild, in the wild that, that healed on their own without and any surviving and, yeah. laying, and thriving. And, yeah, absolutely thriving. And no, you know, your life isn't pointless if you have some disability. And particularly, man, turtles, turtles. they can heal through just, just about anything. They can regenerate nerve tissue. And we were able to see some amazing instances of healing. It taught us their motto there is never give up on a turtle. And we have, in fact, in in my house, I saw a turtle go from dead to alive. I did CPR on a little tiny turtle the size of a quarter. I worked on that turtle for 45 minutes. That turtle was dead. He had drowned, but he came back to life. And I was later able to release him and his nestmates. They were painted turtles they were all named you know his name was monet the others were manet bonard and surat uh named after pointless mostly Beautiful. and uh, was able to release those in the in the spring into the wild and, oh. and we learned turtle cpr when we were at the turtle survival alliances survival center where they have some of the rarest turtles in the world they have turtles that are extinct in the wild and we saw a turtle a snapping turtle that had been caught in a trap um a minnow trap it got stuck in it and it had drowned, and we saw that turtle come back to life. So that's where we, we CPR for turtles is not blowing into their mouths and pumping their chest like it is for people. It's it's pumping their legs, which pumps their lungs, and it helps get their heart going and get water out of their out of their lungs. And I just learned this is amazing of not just one but two instances over the past three days of folks that heard me talking about this at, at one of our our talks. Yeah who revived drowned turtles this way. It was something that I think was pioneered on sea turtles, who are great big creatures. But you can do this with an animal the size of a coin and bring them back to life. 
Well, I'm learning so much just from this conversation. And you mentioned earlier that turtles are miracles, and it feels like that's your experience is the miraculous of what they can bring, not just what you can bring to them, but also what turtles can bring to to people. And you both were working on this book and did a lot of your research around turtles during the pandemic. Uh, Sai, I want to start with you first. You know, how did that change your relationship with them? Wow. Well, first, you know, remember when the pandemic came, nobody knew what this strange contagion was. Nobody knew where it came from. Did it come on the mail? Did you get it at the grocery store? You know, and there were no vaccines. There was really not much in the way of treatment. And people were scared to death. And at the same time, there was like horrendous political strife. And environmental catastrophe was upon us as California was on fire and Australia was on fire and the Amazon was on fire. It was a time of deep despair for many people. And it felt like even time had abandoned us. And to be working with these amazing, resilient animals, with these wonderful heroes, these fabulous women and men who were literally piecing the world back together, shell by shattered shell. This was so restorative for, for Matt and, and for me. And it also completely altered our experience of time itself. I could not have predicted when I pitched this book in early 2019 that this pandemic was coming and that time was going to grind to a halt for not just our neighborhood and not just our nation, but the whole world. But it became a time for Matt and me to learn from the turtles a new way to connect with time, a time that was sacred and healing and eternal at a moment in history when time seemed to stop for so many people. Matt, did time stop for you too? Time did it slowed working with turtles teaches you patience. And it was it was like Sai said, it was a stressful time and a hectic time. And when we were working with the turtles, we would slip into we call it turtle time and everything around you to slow down and you <clears throat> taught you to focus. And you know, in a world where like we were constantly we have iPhones or you know, apps and there's constantly sounds going off, we're always distracted. It it taught you to focus and into it was really calming and, yeah. and relaxing, yeah. When you see a turtle favor you with its glance. It's an intense glance. It's, it's an intense stare. Yeah. I mean, gosh, you, you just, you feel, you really feel blessed by this. And paying attention, you know, I'm not the first person to say this, but um, it's been, it's been likened to a, a, a form of, of prayer. Um, it's it's like a sacred thing to pay deep attention. Turtles know how to do this. And when you see a turtle, even looking at the worm they're about to eat. Whatever they're looking at, yeah. It's, it's like these laser beams are coming out of their eyes and they are so into the sensuous savor of life and the excitement of life and the depth of life. And that's what I think that we're we're often missing and and uh, lacking in in our twitchy dingy little world of 
atomized attention. It was such a relief to sink back into turtle time. And with turtle time, you know, they move so slowly, they age very slowly, and they have very long lives. And I guess they also die slowly. You know, can you talk about that process? Well, like Sai said, it, uh, when she talked about her example of bringing a turtle back to life, turtle's not dead until it's dead. <laughs> um, but they they do everything slow. Uh, they they get you know they get sick slow. They they recover slow. But turtles have time, and that's what they need is time to to recover. Um, but I mean, we we've seen turtles that 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 it took years for them to heal and recover, and and they did. They they. They slowly healed, their carapaces filled back in, and those turtles were released. That was one reason that when I was deciding to write this book on time and turtles, I wanted to meet turtles in the wild, of course. But one reason that we wanted to apprentice ourselves to a turtle rescue, and this particular wonderful turtle rescue, was that we wanted to get to know turtles as individuals. And because they do take years to heal, you get to know them over the course of, of years. And some of them, their personalities, like Pizza Man, they're immediately apparent. Others, it takes a while for them to reveal their true selves. But the turtles are just as much the heroes in this book as are Natasha and Alexia and Michaela and Mike Henry and our friends at the turtle, um, the, the turtle nesting site, and our friends at Turtle Survival Alliance. The turtles themselves have such distinctive stories and personalities and histories that getting to work at the turtle rescue really let us know them. And so you both talked about meeting these turtles and they teach you to savor and and to live slower and to not be so twitchy as we tend to be very twitchy in our dinghy world as you mentioned what else do you think turtles can teach us about patience and and healing and time you know matt let's start with you well turtles turtles are tough turtles can survive injuries that other animals just couldn't survive and it teaches you that that you know, these turtles want to survive. They want to live. They love their lives just as much as we love our lives. And and turtles, they they move forward sometimes slowly, but determined. And, and they don't give up. They teach you hope, and not hope against hope. But we we saw turtles. Let me tell you about one of the patients that we met there. His name was Chutney, and this was a snapping turtle who'd been hit by a car. And I mean, he was practically a road crayon. He had cracked his shell, he'd broken his jaw, but worst of all, he had a brain concussion to the point that he didn't know which end was up and he kept rolling upside down, thinking that that was a good thing. Well, it's not a good thing and it was particularly upsetting because Alexia had to reset his broken jaw every time he flipped upside down. So they had to come up with a solution and they came up with a brilliant solution, which they called the chutney Chutney tube. (laughs) So the chutney tube was a a regular um, pitcher. It was a a plastic see-through pitcher and his shell fit in perfectly. And they put him in there, and the handle acted as a kickstand so he wouldn't roll over. 
They tried like taping them down and weighing them down. down. They tried a whole bunch of things. But this turtle, he was there for two years. I think he was there for two years. When we met him, he he was healed and he was released that very spring, our very first spring wedding. We were there for his release. So that that's a turtle that was really messed up and most people would have given up on. But turtles are tough and they come back and they they just need time. And during the pandemic, when people seemed hopeless and languishing. That was a really wonderful lesson for us. They gave us not only hope, but they also showed us that we could help mend the world too. Learn from Being Chutney. able to help at that time of helplessness yeah. showed us that you know we were not powerless; that that we could help, and we wanted to spread that message because people, everyone listening to this show right now could be like yourself a, a turtle hero there's so many ways that we can help turtles and simple ways animals. that everyone can help turtles and of course you both wanted to do to do this because you want to learn you want to be a part of something you want to help and and you mentioned the various seasons that everyone is so busy and you don't know how natasha and alexia got sleep and there's also hatching seasons so you both also spend time on the beach rescuing hatchlings can you describe what that looked like because this was also during the pandemic when technically volunteers were not supposed to to gather yeah well we didn't actually go um rescue hatchlings on the beach we worked with a a nesting group, a permitted nesting group. And this is this is an area, it's behind a suburban development next to two baseball fields, a asphalt parking lot, a bunch of porta potties. And there's this amazing turtle oasis and a, a retired school teacher and a librarian have been leading a team of volunteers for more than 15 years, protecting five different species of turtles. And uh, three of those are, are endangered or, or threatened. And over the over those fifteen years, they've protected hundreds and hundreds of nests, and they've successfully hatched thousands of turtles. And these turtles now, from when they started, are are starting to reach breeding age, and so they're starting to get turtles that are coming back. And they've had their best years these past few years for for the most uh, nests they protected. So that starts in the spring, and we would go out look for the turtles nesting, or look for areas that were disturbed where the nests were, check them then put a nest protector around them. Throughout the summer, they had to water them several times a week if it was too dry, if it was a drought. And then in the in the end of the summer, they would check like three or four times a day to see if the hatchlings had hatched and they would collect them, record them, and then put them in the river. So that was actually, those were freshwater turtles. Yeah. But you are right, we did work on a beach. But we did not do a rescue. When, when not, mostly people don't go on the beach of Cape Cod in December. But oddly, that was where we were helping turtles who weren't nesting, but who were cold stunned sea turtles washing up on the waves after a big storm. And this is this is December in Massachusetts. And I mean, we had just had a snowstorm and I, at my house, I had no power. And I left my wife um, with like over a foot of snow in the driveway and no power because, I mean, she wasn't thrilled about this because <laughs> we had to go look for turtles. You had important beach. things to do. Yeah. <laughs> but this was an amazing adventure. I mean, it was a night rescue. It was a winter rescue. Windy. Not ex- oh, it was it was a beautiful Tight, night. We, we went 10 miles to do, we, well, we walked 10 miles of the beach looking for these turtles. And these, these turtles were Kemp's Ridley sea turtles. They weren't adults. They were, they were like teenagers. They were juveniles. And um, 
they're the most endangered uh, species of sea turtle in the world. And these guys, what happens is, this is all due to global warming, really. The, the Gulf of Maine is warming faster than any other body of water on the planet. And so on the Cape, the sea turtles, it's still warm, so they, they don't leave the protective waters of the, of the Cape until it's too late because the Atlantic itself is cooler. And being reptiles, they can't regulate their internal temperature. So soon it's so cold, they can't move. So they're like driftwood. It's like hypothermia for for a turtle. Exactly, it is. And sometimes they 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 drown. Um, sometimes they just can't move. And so you wait for these storms to wash them back up on the beach, because then you can rescue them. And Matt, who is a big strong guy who used to be a wrestler, he got the wonderful job of having to haul these turtles for ten miles on a sled my ice fishing sled <laughs> wow it got heavy <laughs> at night in the whipping wind but every one of them almost certainly was going to survive you bring them back to the audubon well fleet, fleet audubon sanctuary they have a, a a place where the turtles you can't warm them up right away because that will kill them so you need some experts to handle them in those first days or hours and then they go to the new england aquarium's quincy facility which is a huge turtle hospital where any of their injuries in addition to being cold stunned are tended to, and they can be released in the spring. Well, and I bet those turtles were really glad that both of you and others were there to save them that very cold and windy December evening. We're going to take a quick break here. We're hearing from Cy Montgomery. She's the author of many books about animals, and her new books are Of Time and Turtles and The Book of Turtles. Matt Patterson is also with us. He's the book's illustrator and also a wildlife artist and sculptor. They'll be staying with us. You can find a link to the books on our website, ctpublic.org slash where we live. And coming up, Sai and Matt will talk about adopting a turtle. Let us know if you have any questions, 888-720-9677, or find us on Facebook and Twitter at where we live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Catherine Shen. Simon Montgomery is the author of the new book of Time and Turtles and The Book of Turtles, and Matt Patterson illustrated both of those books. And today they're joining us to talk about their time working with turtle rehabilitators and diving into the world of turtles. They're both animal lovers and now specifically turtle lovers. So you know, somewhere on their journey, they had to adopt a turtle or three or 10. Sai, let's start with you. During your time working with turtles, it was only a matter of time before you adopted one, right? What was the experience like? <laughs> well, some of the turtles that I adopted are actually living at Matt's house. But first, we had to find Matt uh, and his wife, Erin, a house on our street so that I could conveniently visit with them. Um, I would take care of some of Matt's turtles while he and his wife would go away. Well, when we started this, I had this this whole process. I had three or four turtles. I think three. I think you're, three turtles. Oh, one of them, Polly, I've had and, for twenty seven years, and um, so I didn't. I didn't have that many turtles, and uh, I now have fourteen. <laughs> as which, you do. Yeah, as one would do. Which you know, it sounds like a lot to some people, but some people I know that's that's nothing. I know people who have hundreds of turtles, so. 
one of our one of our friends, Chris Hagen, says that the calculus goes like this: one dog is hundred turtles in terms of time <laughs> that you have to spend on them. That's a new equation but, I'm going to have to work on. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, but well, I, 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 um, I ended up taking a, a lot of turtles. We we have, uh, went to a, a a rehabber, Faith, a wonderful lady in New York, and originally I was supposed to take one or two, so that means two. Uh, three turd box turtles from her. And Erin, my wife Erin, went down with me and Cy. And we got there and we ended up picking out two. And then Faith said, well, if you're going to take two, why not take three? And then she said, if you're going to take three, why not take four? And I could just see the look of terror in Erin's eyes because she didn't want too many turtles. She didn't want to become one of those turtle people. And these are three toad box turtles. These are really old turtles too. And they're non-natives. They can't be released. So they need a they need a home. And we, we ended up taking six of them and we got home and I put them in this outdoor enclosure I had. And within an hour, one of them started digging a hole and laid eggs. And then the next day, another one laid, laid eggs as well. So that's Karen actually how the calculus she, works. Yeah, she called, she called Sai. She said, I can't believe what happened. But uh, the eggs weren't fertile. So that, that ended up not being a problem. And uh, Fire Chief, who is, I always say, the star of, of Time and Turtles, He's this wonderful snapping turtle um, that we we got to know and work with throughout this whole story. And we ended up adopting him because he was not releasable. His his back legs do work. He was paralyzed at one point, but he he can't use his back legs that great. His tail doesn't work. So if he flips over, he, he has trouble getting up. And the first thing I did when we, we bought a house on the same road as Cy is I dug a pond, the turtle pond. Which again was not on Aaron's list of first things to do, but it was on my list, and so we dug a turtle pond, and we now have fourteen turtles. So and if if people, I was gonna say, if people are interested in adopting turtles, you know, one turtle or ten, it seems like. What do you want them to know before they they actually commit to that? That's a that's a good question. Well, the number one thing people need to know is a turtle is a long commitment often lifelong commitment and they often will outlive you. Some of the turtles I have are from people who had them and are no longer here. So turtles do live a long time. Certain turtles like sulcatas, African spurthide tortoises get huge. So they're not a really good species to have in Connecticut. Um, but, but Matt has one. I do have one. But he's in his will. But I don't have any kids or anything. So I have, I have, I have space for turtles, but um, <laughs> different turtles require different things. So I would say the number one thing, do your research, make sure you know what you're doing. And there are a lot of places where instead of buying a turtle, you can adopt a turtle, like the Turtle Rescue League. I believe there are some places in Connecticut. I know there are two turtle uh, rescues in Connecticut, the Turtle Haven and the Turtle's Back, I believe it's called. And if people find injured turtles, they can bring them there. I don't know if they have turtles for adoption, but there are a lot of places where you can adopt unwanted turtles. And then that way you're not buying them from a pet store. And Yeah. SPCA sometimes. Sometimes have they have turtles, turtles for yeah. adoption. And you don't want, I mean, you certainly don't want to buy a turtle that's an, an endangered species and sometimes, or a native species. You don't want to get a, no. a native species. And if you see them in a pet store, that's it's illegal. That's illegal. And we see them in pet stores all the time, actually, mm. which is bad. But um, having a turtle in your life is a wonderful thing. It is a wonderful but, thing. But they do need very specific care. And all of us who had little baby turtles when we were growing up and saw their shells get soft and they died, 
that is a real testament to how, you know, turtles don't need much, but they do need very specific things. And you don't want to condemn a, a turtle to die. So yeah, research, if you get a turtle, research it first. Right. And we've got about a minute and a half here, but I do want to ask to, you know, as we're having this conversation, there's so much joy, there's so much love, and we learn so much from these turtles. You know, you, you both worked on on the, 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 the two books. One of them is a picture book. Why do you feel the need to get both those books out there? Well, I, I write for both adults and children because, although I like to write a lot of words and go on sometimes for 275 pages, children are not just the leaders of tomorrow, they're the leaders of today. So I really, really wanted to put a book in the hands of kids to make them into turtle stewards. And that, book's, it, that book is a celebration of turtles, a, a turtle amazing turtle facts and abilities and you know evolution and conservation. And we have turtle celebrities and extreme turtles, like the fastest turtle and turtles climb, things like that. So that book really introduces people to the world, to the amazing world of turtles. How they can help, too. Yeah. You know, crossing a turtle, cross it in the direction it's going. Yep. If you find an injured turtle, call a rehabber. Like I said, there's, there's some in Connecticut. And protect wetlands. That's super important. And you can support uh, organizations like the Turtle Survival Alliance, who they work with turtles all around the world, and including species that are, are extinct in the wild. And seeing these people do this amazing work and dedicate their lives to it because if you work with turtles a lot of times you have to dedicate your whole life because everything happens so slowly right and your success might happen years down you know years down the road well you both have been so inspiring to all of us here and we hope our listeners enjoy this conversation because we certainly have you've been listening to Simon Montgomery who is the author of of time and turtles and the book of turtles and Matt Patterson who illustrated both of the books Thank you both so much for being with us this morning and sharing your stories about turtles. Thank you, Catherine. It was a joy. Thank you. That was fun. I'm Catherine Shin. Today's show was produced by Tess Terrible. Our technical producer is Kat Pastor. Download where we live anytime on your favorite podcast app. And thank you very much for listening. 